Two Faces Radio. This is Bill Sheffield, and you're listening to Two Faces Radio, the best podcast ever. I was so honest. I love it. It was. Welcome, everybody. Well, Episode number 53. Yeah. Two Faces Radio. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> Look at that. We are just, just always... You wrote number 53? I sure did. Right uh, there. My name is Ira Malkin. That's Brian McClenning over Hello. here. Hello. Uh, our third face, Turbo Tim Butler. Hey, guys. <laughs> is in the studio. <laughs> and, Brian, and I always break Brian's balls about doing the long intros. Yeah. Uh, before we introduce our guest, but I'm, I'm not going to do a long one, but I, I'm, I'll give a quick, quick My story. My thought is that what? they've already seen who the guest is. Well, but, they know, you know who it is, but we're, right. we're making this exciting. This yeah, is, that's this what is I like dramatic. Build the drama. All right, I'm gonna, I'll say this. Back do when it. I was in high school, and I was a young lad, and, oh. and I was a teenager, and I was, you know, I was listening to a lot of Bon Jovi and Motley Crue at the time, of course, <laughs> but I was getting into blues. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm glad I did. I had to figure it out all on my own. Mm-hmm. And the further I got into it, one of the first discs I ever bought, I went out to South Street in Philly. And I don't know what possessed me to buy this one. Well, why not? But one of the first discs, I, blues discs I ever bought was Alligator Records 20th Anniversary Collection. Double mm-hmm. disc. Uh-huh. The great one. Yes. And I feel like I was just so, I, I feel like I was eight or something. Was, right. It, I was probably 16, 17, something yeah. like that. Right. And uh, my second favorite tune on that record. Second favorite. <laughs> was by see the man. See how he does that? Was recorded by the man that sits to my left. <laughs> Tinsley Ellis, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Second favorite. That's what you're doing to our what, guests. What was the now, Of course, that is the question that's lingering out there. Just out of curiosity. Tinsley will probably agree with you. Just me, out of curiosity, what is number one? Well, I, was the, you, well, I guess I shouldn't ask you to guess, but uh, give me back my wig. Oh, that's a great one. Right. <laughs> I knew he would agree with that. That's everybody's favorite alligator record song. Uh, give me back my wig. Yeah, what, what was the Tinsley song? On uh, Double-Eyed Whammy. Double-Eyed Whammy. Yeah. Yeah. Whammy. yeah. Right. And Blue. Yeah, from the very first album yeah. that I did on Alligator. So that's uh, that's kind of like where it began, and this is where uh, it's ended up for me. Well, let's not so end it good. here. Let's, not end. let's make this the middle. No, I mean, we've kind of <laughs> come yeah, full right. circle. Well, yeah. I guess what do you do in a I'm circle? Ab- you keep going back around again. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. So this is now we're at the beginning of the circle again, so who knows where we're going to be. Well, I'll say this. 20 years later. When I first moved here in 1995... Uh, shortly before, wait, was it 95? Yeah, shortly before the Olympics, um, the following summer. Yeah. I was not a blues guy. I was into a lot of the same stuff you were, and then more of the classic rock and things like that. And, um, but it did not take long before, you know, you, you get to a big town like Atlanta coming from New Haven, Connecticut, and I had gone to school in D.C. and all, but you start to... Coming down here to play music, you start hearing about who are the big names, you know, from this area. I didn't hadn't realized that driving and crying was from here, and mm-hmm. you know things like that. And you know, Tinsley, that was one of the first names that I started hearing about, yeah. and you know, getting a little familiar with. Definitely the name and kind of the local legend, I guess that uh, you've become, and so that that made for that that makes for. Uh, you know, okay. a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting, you know, conversation as as you start to gather those artists that are like local, and then who they have connections to, some of the you know big names that I knew that right. you had connections to. So, um, so you realize real quick, it's like, wow, how did I never know who this guy was? How did I never come across his music <laughs> before? Like, there's with all a those need. There's you know? a need for my work to remain confidential. <laughs> right. so it's very rare that I'll do any interviews or anything like that. So. <laughs> So we're, so we're happy to have you. Then. Yeah, very happy. In fact, I'm destroying every copy of uh, the recording after I do when, this interview. When this comes out good? Yeah. Well, that, that'll send you on tour. Well, <laughs> and, and certainly when Ira and I started doing this show about a year and a half ago, right. I guess, um, you know, it started as we are an Atlanta music scene podcast. Right. Of course, we've kind of 
stretched out beyond that now. But we had a list. We, we had, had a big list. list that we started and putting together. Who were the big names? And uh, we've well, got who were the not necessarily even the big names, but people we really wanted, really want, that yeah. we had in mind. Yeah, that's that, what I mean big, by big names. You know, who are like okay, we gotta try and get this guy on there. We gotta right. try and get these guys on here, and, and uh, definitely. And one of those names was. Tim Butler. <laughs> after Tim Butler, our second biggest name, much like the second favorite song well, on the 20th anniversary. <laughs> well, I really feel like I've, I've been given a bonus here tonight because it says Two Faces Radio and, and you got a yeah. third face. Well, so. you do. Well, Tim is our resident uh, Tinsley I'm, I'm really only half of a face. Uh, <laughs> should be two and a half faces. Tim is like a regular, uh, what would you call him? A regular guest, I'd say. Yeah. I'm regular. He's a regular. He's a a part-time co-host, I guess. Part-time. I would say part-time co-host. Like Ed McMahon? Yeah. Kind of like that, yeah. For people old enough to remember who Ed McMahon was. Yeah. It was. was. And he'll do a lot of stuff like like that throughout the show. (laughs) Tim's got the best job because he gets to just come in here and he, well, job. I call it a job because all the money calling for us here. It's a job. Jobs pay. It's work sometimes. It pays. But, uh, yeah, Tim's got the best spot because he just gets to, you know, be witty and well, stick stuff in. I will say, I'll, I'll put a quick message out there to our listeners. Um, I feel like having you on the show, we might have a lot of new listeners that are big fans of yours. Um, and if you are listening to us, Two Faces Radio, for the first time to tune in and, uh, and hear Tinsley, welcome. Um, enjoy. This is this will be a special treat for you because... Uh, well, Tinsley said he has done podcasts before, but this is Two Faces Nothing Radio, like baby. this. That's right. I'm, I'm completely blown away. Yeah, those guys were a hell of a <laughs> lot more professional than we are. <laughs> I, think that was, I think I did that one over the telephone, so there's no telling what it looked like. All right, so we got him live, <laughs> yeah, folks. Right. He's here live. Um, and I will say to those people, too, um, you can go on iTunes and our website, and we have a ton of great podcast out there with a ton of great guests too so after you check out this one if you enjoy it go check out those and uh our two faces radio fans that aren't that familiar with tinsley go check them out absolutely Um, because you'll love it this time unlike many of our guests who come in sometimes as they're touring and they're here like the day before a show or the day of a show right um they'll people will be hearing this well in advance of your show that you have coming up at, at Variety. Variety Playhouse on Friday the um, 18th? 18th. 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 Yeah. yeah. Variety yeah. Playhouse. Not a stranger to that joint. No, not at yeah. all. That's a great place to play. It's my old neighborhood over there. And yeah. In fact, the opening act that night is uh, Bill Sheffield and yeah. the XL. Yeah, XL. Oh, great. And y'all are definitely latecomers to the XL scene because yeah. they, they ruled Atlanta in the late 70s. and So I've heard. Early to mid 80s, great soul music. And yeah. We're just thrilled to have them reuniting for this show. Yeah, yeah. Well, is we it just Bill for this show, or do you think he's gonna? Oh, well, actually, they've done a few alive. reunions. The first reunion went so well that this yeah. is uh, number four or something like okay. that. But we'd like to think this is the official reunion. Yeah, well, it should. This is probably That's the what most. I'm telling uh, everybody. Yeah. Notorious will be this one, the most out there. Well, when Bill was here, I think he. Uh, yeah, he Bill wasn't here too far back. Yeah, not that long. Um, ago. He mentioned the excels and how he was putting things back together, yeah. and uh, another another great guy. Mm-hmm. Bill Sheffield. He was my roommate in the uh, early '80s. Really? Well, I know you had some big history with him. Oh yeah, long time. Yeah. Where was that? That was over on uh, College Avenue in Decatur. Okay. And we oh. had a. There were two bands in the house at the time. It was the Heart Fixers and yeah. the XLs. Wow. And uh, you know, come to think of it, that was that was 30 years ago, Jeez. 1981. So uh, yeah, we had cool, a lot man. of a lot of great musicians hanging out at the house and dropping by and yeah. jamming. It was it was really really a great scene from guys that were like coming through on tours before they were even touring. People yeah. like Warren Haynes, you know, oh, yeah. was yeah. practically a teenager. <laughs> I know I was just in my early twenties. So yeah. people like that hanging out over there. Yeah, a lot of musicians coming and going. Anybody come through that? You thought, damn, you know, this guy's badass or anything. Oh, even back then? And maybe didn't get anywhere, like didn't go as far as you thought they would have? No, because you can kind of tell. It's like the first time we saw uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan in 1979 at the uh, Buckhead Cinema. I think at the time it was called the Capri, maybe. And uh, (laughs) he came through and opened for uh, Bill Sheffield. And uh, 
it just blew us away, and we knew. Yeah. You can kind of tell. Yeah. Same thing with Robert Cray when he came through. Oh, yeah. You just know. And then, uh, yeah, but there's there's a lot of great people that, um, you know, that just opportunity and ability don't connect. and. Yeah. And so they just stay local or something like that. And, yeah. and that's who really makes the good music. you got to seek them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, speaking of music, before we get too far into the conversation. Yes. You want to hear a little music? I do, yeah. Um, we're going to hear Highwayman first, which your, your fans will definitely be familiar with. Uh, our fans, you want to hear what you're in for? This is it. <laughs> this no, is I th- it. actually, I mean, when I hear this tune, and I, you know, I've heard it for years, uh, you know, classic tune of yours this kind of to me is is kind of the essence of what you do i'd say you agree with that yeah i think so it, it's highway a man? song that uh, tells a story and we named the live album highway man and i believe yeah. you've got the live version of yeah this. we we do yeah. that's what we're going to hear now so we'll hear a cool. little bit of that and uh then we'll come back and talk a, a sec so hold on a sec Make sure I got that that solo solo ripping in there before yeah. we started talking again. <laughs> um, Man, the first thing I think about <laughs> when I hear that tune is just that general thing of I hate to sound like you know 
like an old, you know, fart or something. But you know, the the bands today, you hate that huh? when that solo starts and that whole solo section starts, and the whole band just kind of drops down yeah, yeah. to where you can almost hear a pin, and you start hearing the crowd coming through. That's the thing I feel like a lot of the younger bands, the newer don't bands, get. don't get that kind of the dynamics, the dynamics, dynamics. Just how to, yeah. yeah, just how to bring that out and to be able to build behind a a lead player. Because I, I, I don't know. I mean, you would, I would feel like I always felt like when, being more of a rhythm guitar player. You know, when Tim was doing a lead for us or when Mark was doing a lead for us, yeah. it's our responsibility also to to make that lead. You know, elevate as it goes right. on. You know, yeah, the the rhythm section people. Yeah, I mean, so. it, well, if that's true, why would you always play louder when I would start? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I was afraid that meant. <laughs> Come because on, he that's can't totally hear anything either. True. Yeah, so not true. Uh, well, you know, we always say that ninety percent of the bands that come through here uh, on our show, we we have kind of connections with yeah. either Atlanta connections yeah. or, or or somewhere, and. Uh, with Tinsley, we we do as well. I mean, we yeah. uh, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but Brian and I um, we saw each other frequently around town back probably ten years ago now. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it all most of it centered around Northside Tavern, which the the, the Monday Night Blues Jam. Yeah, when Johnny Knox had it, it was a big part of getting people out, you know, and yeah. bringing people together. Yeah. To, People that would play together, yeah, and then other people who would not necessarily play together, like getting John Liebman and Jimmy Herring together to play. Right. You know, two yeah. different camps. You know, yeah. I missed really, that night. Oh, it was really <laughs> know, great. Too, yeah. you know, trading licks back and yeah. forth. You have a, a blues purist harmonica player right. and then a, a pheno- phenomenal jazz rock fusion yeah. guitar player trading licks, and, yeah. and there was a, it was a really magical time. It really yeah, was. It I was mean, there cool. was a feeling at the time, and that was the reason. You know, Brian and I moved down here in '95. Um, we didn't know each other, but it was within the same month, pretty much. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, you probably remember this too. The music scene down here was was really cooking. You know, all all across all genres. I, I feel like. Um, and yeah, I mean, it felt like when we came here, like wow, we really. You know, we started getting a band going, and we just felt like, wow, we're really in the midst of something yeah. great. It, we we would look around and think, who's going to – which one of us is going to hit hit it? You know, like, you know, that's how stupid Luckily, we Luckily, you were already there. <laughs> I've made a whole career wondering <laughs> this very same thing. Um, and uh, I also want to thank you. You know, you were real gracious to us back then when oh, Brian yeah. and I were playing in Ton of Honey. You used to come out and check us out, you know, oh, at the yeah. Brandy House. Yeah. Um, you know, which was great. You know, somebody – you know, if you look at it in our eyes, somebody at your level that we, you know, kind of envied, you know, with your career. And, and uh, well, I remember and I don't know if you, re- again, recall this, but when we did our first album in 98, um, I think Mark might have been the one who kind of ha- had known you maybe the most. And I don't know how it got to you, but somebody got you the CD or somehow we found out that you had heard it. And I you left a message at the house at oh, our, yeah. our house on uh, Euclid Avenue. We, we had one of those, those houses five too. Points, you know? I did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course I did. Yeah. And, right. And, and, and we could uh, say anything we want right now. Right. <laughs> and, no, I, rem- yeah. I do remember that. It's a and, great, uh, great record. Thanks. And you know, and that was one of those things where it was like again, like what I was saying. You know, yeah. wow. You know, for you to just take that moment and that that was awesome. What were, what was your take on the scene at that time? Because you had already kind of, I mean, you were well established at that point. Let's see. That was in the uh, like late late nineties. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the big thing that was going on at that time was going out and watching uh, Sean Costello yeah. develop yeah. from being, you know, like a teenager to being a monstrous young guitar player, and of Absolutely. course playing with Susan, and mm-hmm. and then doing all the stuff on his own. And really, uh, he was like a real kingpin in the scene. Of course, yeah. right? A lot younger than all of us. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And uh, a lot younger, <laughs> yeah, a lot younger. And in fact, he could, he wasn't even able to go in the bars, but everybody just right. sort of broke the rules and let him right. in. And just to watch him do it on a nightly basis, and he jammed with everybody. And he was. Uh, did you go out to the fat, to Fat Matt's and see him with uh, Felix? And did you ever get a chance oh, yeah. to do that? Oh, even before that, yeah, yeah. I remember when he was in the uh, the Battle of the Bands in Memphis, and uh, you know, as as a sixteen year old, yeah. And really, uh, it was just a magical time, you know. Really miss that. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I know I, that was definitely we all really, really that. special to have been around. 
Yeah, I know. And everybody that we bring in here and everybody that's in our scene that, you know, everybody talks about it the same way. But. Yeah, it was, you know, and he's one of those those cats you hear and you just know that, you know, something big is going to happen. Yeah. Of course, he was taken from us way too early. Way too early. But, uh, we still have the great albums. I was about and, to uh, say, at least we're thankful that we have, you know, all those great records. My that, favorite one is the uh, Cutting In. Cutting In. Me which too. Which was his second album. Yeah. And, uh, man, that one just... You know, just burst from the speakers like an explosion. Yeah. And you just know so fast that it's going to be great. And I'm glad we I'm got a Sean Costello guy. I like that. that oh, that, yeah. yeah. The title, uh, title. just Sean Costello. Yeah, the, the next one was uh, Moaning, Moaning for Molasses. Which, Cutting In and Moaning for Molasses are my two favorites. I don't know which one I like better. But um, I'm glad we brought up Sean because it, it, it kind of brings me to another topic regarding you. Um, is that being known for blues and being known for other type of or crossing genres, basically. Um, obviously, your audience has always been a blues audience, but you've crossed over or you were able to cross over into kind of the rock scene, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, and it seemed like, you know, I, I knew Sean a good bit. And even when we talked, you know, he was known for, for being such an incredible blues guy, but he always wanted to cross over. Yeah. And he, w- he would always say, man, you know, I'm sick song. of playing. Write he wouldn't songs, say I'm sick yeah. of playing blues, but he didn't want to be known as just a straight-up blues guy. But in the end, he got ba- sort of back into uh, into the really old stuff. He was sort of heading back towards it. He wanted to be like an artist that was doing uh, uh, neo-soul and, and rhythm yeah. and blues music. And he did that on some of his later... Albums, but on the last mm. album, he got really back to a stripped-down sound, and it, it was really cool to watch that happen. And so, I really think that there's any number of ways his music could have gone. I really see him as somebody that would have done a jazz album on yeah. down the line. I, I would have seen him as somebody that would have done a more of a vocal album, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or um, you know, an instrumental album. It, it would have been fun to watch, yeah. but, you know. Which I thought Sean Costello was was a little bit more was of a vocal, definitely album. a vocal yeah. album where he was really stretching out. Uh, well, I'm always curious, you know, somebody like yourself, somebody like Sean, who came from like that that pure blues, you know, influence initially. It's always kind of interesting. Blues, traditional blues, yeah. yeah. It's kind of interesting to see like how difficult. Do you feel pressure from some of the other blues artists to remain traditional when you clearly try to become original, you know, writing your own songs and, and moving that way. Was that difficult with the peers? Well, really, you're, you're talking about coming full circle, and my music has definitely come full circle. I started off very much into uh, Cream and the Allman right. Brothers. I'm right. an older cat, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and I, I bought Cream albums when they came out, and uh, and uh, Allman Brothers albums when they came yeah. out with Dwayne Allman and stuff like that. I mean, we like grew up that. on that stuff, too, so yeah. we were there. And um, and really, um, I've come back to that, and uh, I did traditional blues when I had a traditional blues singer, like Chicago Bob Nelson yeah, or Nappy right. Brown. So at first I, you weren't singing. What I would feel like somewhat of an imposter if I went out and did like Jimmy Rogers and uh, Muddy Waters songs like that. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel sort of, you know comfortable in the scene of you know either british blues rock or southern rock or something like right. that but if i get behind a singer you know like a chicago bob nelson or somebody like that yeah and then i can i feel more comfortable as an accompanist right and, right. and playing the traditional music but when i yeah. went out in uh, 1983 and started fronting the heart fixers as a singer yeah and I was faced with this repertoire of Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Elmore James. And I said, oh, boy, that's, I don't know, you know. I, I <laughs> yeah. feel like I should be in the audience when uh, when music <laughs> like that goes on right. or accompanying somebody. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I, I still feel that way. So doing my own music and having it lean more towards rock, it's, it's – uh, I just feel comfortable. That's where I came from. Yeah. yeah. But you were emulating some of those old... I mean, I know you're a big Freddie King guy like oh, yeah. I am and Otis Rush. And, oh, yeah. You know, I always tried to emulate those guys, and I know yeah. I'm never going to... You know, but you... You know, your voice is, is great, and did you think it was as good as it is now, you know, back then? Well, I I really don't think people come out to hear me sing, that's for sure. No? But uh, the singing is a... you got to have the singing, so... Yeah. You know, because yeah. then people... 
know what to call the songs right. because if, if it's all instrumentals, you yeah. know, I can never tell sidetrack from the stumble to hideaway, the, you know, right. the, all the Freddie King instrumentals and uh, had to sort of learn the title. So words yeah. are real important. But, you know, I, it's, I'm a work in progress vocally and I think... Uh, <laughs> Still, you think? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I work at it pretty hard, and, and a lot of it is editing. You know, throwing out the bad stuff, <laughs> doing it in the Auto studio, going, doing it in the studio. You know, and you yeah, sing. It, there's certain things that auto tune doesn't right. even help. But when you do a song in the studio, and you really feel like you delivered it, and then you go back into the control room, and there's that aversion of eyesight right. where no one's like looking at you. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe that maybe that song isn't going to be a good right. one. It's great, out. right, guys? Yeah, right. And, hey, you're not even get, you're not getting any love. Yeah. Sort of like when you go out with a girl a few times and you say, uh, you know, I love you, and you don't get the <laughs> I love you back. It's a big meat. That's a big <laughs> matzo, matzo ball, ball hanging out, out there. That's right. That's a big matzo ball. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of editing going on. And a lot of, you know, a lot of producing bands or producing myself is 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 throwing out the bad stuff and keeping the good stuff. So yeah. it's like the shotgun effect. You do, you know, you send pellets yeah, then, out everywhere. Then live, you got to go out there and. Yeah. You I was going to say, that's, that's you feel mighty humble of you to I know say, what but. to do live, you know, doing it in the studio <laughs> and listening to it. And then, you know, of course, the the final thing is, are people clapping, you know, at the end of yeah. a song? Or is it like crickets, you know? Yeah. You're not hearing it or a golf clap. You don't want right. a golf clap yeah. at the end of a song. <laughs> well, yeah. but you do realize Pleasant. that you, you do have, you know, a really great yeah. voice. And that's actually, I'd say, kind of rare anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just that strong. Well, kind of the whole package thing. You know, it seems like it's not rare, guitar. but you know, you find a lot of guitar slingers out there. Yeah, I'm doing the quotes slingers. Yeah, that you know, that's all there, but then you don't have the vocals too. Right. Um. So well, I noticed for the first time. I again, I wasn't as familiar with your recorded work as just kind of seeing you around town and at Smiths or at Northside and and hearing you live. And then I listened to some of the recorded stuff, and I was like, wow, there's a similar tone to uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton that I noticed, that I, <laughs> right. I ne- which I thought, you know, I always liked his vocals as well, you know, going out and seeing him. So I was like, that strong, powerful, deep voice. He must can- have been a contemporary of yours, too. He, was, he came before me, of course. He yeah. was like, uh, the deal with Colonel Bruce Hampton is in the 60s, they were the first band out of Atlanta that didn't dress alike. You know, <laughs> yeah, had, yeah. Like the, when the Beatles and the Stones first yeah, came out, yeah, or the yeah. animals, they had like matching suits yeah. on or the Beach Boys. And every town had a band that sort of broke away from that first and, and, and you know, stopped being like surf music or rock and roll music into being rock music. So yeah. that Bruce Hampton came out and that evidently they were wearing like jeans and t-shirts. Right. It, was, it was shocking. Yeah. You know, of course, nowadays the version of what is shocking, I mean, you got to have like a flamethrower mounted in your head, right. you know, and, and or wielding a mace at the audience or something. That's not even shocking. You know, people in Los Angeles would say, well, we've seen that before. Right. But through, through the 90s, I mean, it seemed like Colonel Bruce was trying to keep up with the shocking any way he could because, you know, you'd call his performances kind of performance art, I guess. It, I, I mean, would definitely yeah. call it that. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. A, a good performance should be performance art regardless of the genre, yeah. really. You know, because, you know, if you're not making mistakes up there, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Um, I like that. No, because I make plenty of mistakes. Before, I'm, I'm just, then you're I'm trying. Just, I feel, so, I feel you're very trying. As a matter of fact, I'm trying harder than anybody. <laughs> Before I get back, we get back into a little more history. Uh, just going back to what I was saying about you know being considered blues ra- versus being considered blues rocker. Does it does it bother you at all when people are just like blues artist Tinsley Ellis, blues artist Tinsley Ellis? Does that bother you at all well i think it works a lot better if someone else calls me a blues artist rather than me calling myself one right i think it'd be kind of precocious you know but uh years ago i think it was in the early 90s and i just came out and declared myself a blues rock artist and it took so much heat off of me and so much pressure because of the the people that I, I sort of were la- traditionalists I, that like the I launched a preemptive strike on my <laughs> critics. Basically, I didn't give them the opportunity <laughs> to, to, to say that, you know. Yeah. And, and that's and that was cool because then all of a sudden, if you think about the the artists that are really really great, they're the ones that transcend any description. Yeah. Like 
Ray Charles or or Willie Nelson. They're sort of a genre unto themselves. Yeah. And how would you describe what they do? Right. You, you really can't. You go. You would tend to go on and on about it. Right. Well, Ray Charles, well, he had this period. Of he course, was a gospel guy country. that played blues. That he did country, country and yeah. there was some jazz. Of course, he's rhythm and blues and soul. Yeah. So if you if if you were to say, well, what kind of music uh, did Ray Charles do? Well, he did Ray Charles music, right? Yeah. Or Willie Nelson, for that matter, right? And uh, and I think that really, if um, you know, I really hate the labels thing. You know, yeah, well, yeah. everybody does. You know, I, but you got to tell people something. You got to describe. Right. Um, so really, what um, what my record company has wisely come up with when when they describe what I do, they say it's guitar driven blues rock because you got to get the guitar in there. Right. Right? <laughs> I'm not a crooner, let's face it, and you got to get the blues in there and you got to yeah. get rock in there. So guitar driven blues rock, and right. that works fine. And okay, yeah, I, I guess it's know not too long. Means. I guess it, it <laughs> still <laughs> flows off the tongue. Then you words? know, you know, there's probably going to be a wah wah pedal involved, yeah, yeah, yeah. you right. know, and right. maybe you know an extra amp, or, you know. <laughs> I guess that encompasses <laughs> yeah everything you're going to do. I liked. I read something that was that called you hard rocking. Blues soaked. I liked the term blues, blues soaked. soaked, as opposed to bluesy, bluesy. which yeah. you hear all the time. Like, oh, they're bluesy, and it's kind of like, what does that mean? It's blues like they didn't soaked. really study blues, yeah. but they have a little blues sound. Well, I try not to soak myself anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anymore, <laughs> anymore. Being there, <laughs> I soak myself in blues. It's wonderful. Oh, in this blues. guy used yeah. to soak his strings in in, in uh, <laughs> margarine, <laughs> boiling water. <laughs> I did. I used to boil my strings when I was a kid. <laughs> How did that work out for you? It worked great. Yeah? Yeah, I couldn't afford Why can't I hear you that well? You got it? Yeah. Uh, oh, you're there, good there now. Yeah, there we go. Look, yeah, a, I, look I, alive. I'm, I'm alive. Okay. Yeah, I would throw them in a pot of water and boil them. Then stick them in the oven and dry them out. Yeah. Pack of strings. And back, who told you to do that? Well, a pack of strings back 1980 probably cost about the same thing they do now. Yeah. You know, so... You couldn't afford that? Five bucks was a lot of money back in those days, man. I didn't have five bucks. <laughs> no. I did have a pot of water, though. Yeah. <laughs> Tim and I were out Saturday night, and we had a, yeah. had a few drinks together. And uh, Are you going into this? And we just had some great conversations. Sorry, this is, this is the way things happen here sometimes. You got Growing soaked, up and, huh? Were you yeah. soaked? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was good. And, but we just had some good conversation about, like, you know, how did it start for you? You know, how, how did you get started and, you know. And he, of course, came from like, you know, small town in Alabama where there wasn't a lot of, you know, the music stores around, things like that. So, um, I don't know. It was interesting. That was it? You're not going to go? All right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll tell that story we'll next We'll talk time. about it at another time. What a time. tease you are. I know. <laughs> well, I have, I have a question for you, for you, Tinsley. All right. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned that, that you know, you, you started listening to the English-based blues bands like Cream, oh, yeah. Birds, and that. Yeah. That evolved into the the music like Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. you know, more of a blues based hard rock. And a couple couple years later, like Aerosmith. Did you ever have any aspirations to do more of a hard rock thing back in the seventies, or were you always pretty much, you know, more the sound that you more were. in the blues? Well, interestingly enough, I mean, I had gone to see BB King, and I went and saw Howlin' Wolf, wow, and I went and saw Muddy Waters, and I saw all these cats. And so when when the hard rock bands came out and did the menacing thing, yeah. you know, having seen Howlin' Wolf, I was like, well, you know, they didn't seem that menacing to me after right. seeing the Wolf <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. do a concert. <laughs> so sense. I was like, okay, well, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, no, I, I I always kind of like the more subtle approach, the more uh, Eric Clapton. Um, Almond Brothers thing, but my yeah. friends really got into uh, the heavy metal and the uh, you know the we called it hard rock initially. And I can remember when the first Zeppelin album came out, and uh, this one of the teachers in, in junior high had us over to the house, some of us, and and put it on, and uh, we were shocked. Could you uh, imagine that nowadays? Yeah. That. A teacher having their kids. Oh, like yeah. in junior high, over to their house to listen oh, he, to like rock music. Oh, he music. wanted us to hear it. And yeah, this yeah. was and a cool, so crazy. A that's cool awesome. guy. And I remember the first like note of Zeppelin, and they, they started off, and then the singing started. And yeah. I said, well, this guy's obviously got his record player set to play 45s, and the voice is like sped <laughs> up. And it, it must be on the wrong setting, but, and does right. he not know that it's set for um, 45 <laughs> RPMs and not 33? And then... 
And then I, you know, somewhere through the first song, I realized, oh, the guy sings like that. Right. And wow. now, and now, of course, he has uh, the, Robert Plant has de- developed a whole new way of singing, and mm-hmm. uh, and I guess everybody's copying him. Well, you know, he's doing he's singing like a normal person, That's and, true. and, and, and it, it's bad. nice in yeah. other ways too. But it was really shocking at first, right? Yeah, that and, now, and then for a while, everybody tried to sing like Robert Plant, real high yeah. and all that. Yeah. And uh, it's like, how high can you go? And it was the guy in Rush, you know, and he sang like so high Getty. that every dog barked in the neighborhood. <laughs> right. And uh, and then and now and now people are thinking we're lower. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, like the grunge music came out, and everybody yeah, like went real, real deep. Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam, yeah. and the death metal stuff. Listen to how high this guy is. Right. I don't hear anything. That's how high he is. But then know? a lot of the quote rock and roll rock bands that are coming out now, you know, even like the emo stuff. Yeah. Everybody's going to like falsetto. So they. So what right, do you call? Yeah. Does that even transcend that? Yeah, I don't know. It really it's not powerful, we're, though. We're just such a, a people of extremes. You know, we yeah. don't want anybody sing in the middle range. We want to sing real low or real high. Right. Yes. Or sing funny. like Bob Dylan, or who knows? Talk, that is, talk sing. Yeah. Talk sing. That yeah. is interesting, though. I think it's really cool how you how you said you know I I started kind of came back to where you started because I feel like a lot of a lot of kids guitar players. Start with like the same stuff you started with, you know, mm-hmm. Allman Brothers and all that stuff, and then that makes them go back, and then they kind of discover right. well, where who, those artists came from. Who did Stormy Monday originally? Right, you know. right, right. And then that becomes like that's their thing. Yeah. But I kind of like how you were like, you know, I went back, you you got into that stuff, but yeah. you still had the love for. You know, the guys oh, yeah. who took it in, in their own direction. It's all good. You know, if it makes you yeah. feel good, it's good. Yeah, Doesn't really yeah. matter what you call it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. What, so where's that string? You mentioned BB King before seeing BB oh, King. Where's that string? What do, you, what do you do? Well, are you going to explain to everybody what you're talking well, about? Well, I'll, I'll let I'll let Tinsley explain <laughs> that. I'll tell this story again. Um, right. Yeah, my parents. Know, you must have told this a thousand I told times. It a bunch I apologize. Of times. I mean, it's Brian been, can tell it. He read it today. It's been, no. twisted, read it it's been twisted around. I love the way it's been twisted. But <laughs> yeah, essentially, my parents took me and some friends to see BB King play. Yeah, and at the time. It was uh, before the, you know, certainly before the years of, of him with U2 or anything like that. And he was playing <laughs> weeks, well, at a, yeah. weeks at a time in, like, lounges. And he played, uh, he had a stripped-down band, like a six-piece band instead of, like, a 12-piece orchestra now. And they didn't have tuxedos. They had suits, but not tuxedos. And uh, basically, he was playing a week-long engagement in a hotel in South Florida, in North Miami Beach, where I grew up. And he played um, like for a week at this at this lounge of the Marco Polo Hotel, and then one of the Saturday afternoons they opened it up to teenagers, and they shut the oh. bar down. Had a BB King teen show. Well, that was nice of them. And some of my yeah, it was really great. And some of my older friends have said, well, you know, we know you like the Yardbirds and uh, and and Cream and and Almond Brothers, and you, you really got to go see BB um, King. Yeah. And so my parents took. I mean, you knew who he was, though. Kind of. I I sure found out because I sat right in the front, and, I mean, he just, like, wailed for, like, an hour. And there was probably only maybe 30 or 40 of his kids there. Yeah. And and I sat right there in the front, and he he just wailed. And at one point during the show, he broke a guitar string. Yeah. And I got to keep the guitar string. And, just, uh, did he hand it straight to you, or you? I don't remember. Um, I, I, I didn't like didn't know, it no stage diving or anything like that. But um, yeah, maybe uh, I, I got it somehow or another. And um, and then the cool thing was though he he went out into the lobby and and talked to all the kids. You know, yeah. he talked to us and. Uh, Seems like a real gracious guy. Fourteen years old or something like that. And yeah, this guy was like impact. he was like Buddha or something, oh, or like yeah. the Dalai Lama sure. of, of blues guitar. And uh, I just always remember that. And then the next time he came through, he had Howlin' Wolf open for him. And, wow! And uh, it Do was a, more of a hippie. It was more of a hippie venue. And uh, and uh, yeah, that was really great too. And um, you know, but I, I just so what were you thinking when you saw? Wolf for the first time. You must have been like, "What? Who is this guy?" Well, my dad, who's always been into like Louis Armstrong and stuff like that, yeah. and he went to college here in the fifties in Atlanta, and he knew who Howlin' Wolf was, and uh, he he told me he said, "Well, you know who's opening for BB, don't you?" And I said, "Who?" And he goes, "Howlin' Wolf." 
And I said, okay. I didn't really know what that was, uh, but I found out. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was was great. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, B.B. King was, um, he was really nice and sort of like a grandfather figure. I said, I'm going to meet Helen Wolf. Yeah. And I was like 15 or something like Uh that. I have a feeling I know where this is going. Well, basically what happened, he didn't cuss me out or anything or put me in a headlock, but I was... (laughs) That would have been a story. Wolf did his show, and he did a great show. He had a Hubert Selman on guitar, and he had S.P. Leary, and he had Eddie Shaw on sax, and uh, I think Shorty was on bass. And and he did his show, and it was just great. I mean, he, he was like a wild man. And at the time, he was on tour, and he was... Having dialysis oh. every other day or something was like dying. Wow. But he could not stop touring. And yeah. This guy was like dedicated. And so basically he was off to the side of the stage while B.B. King was playing. So I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go meet Helen Wolf. Uh-huh. And um, so I'm heading towards Helen Wolf. And the guy, you know, I was a kid, but he looked like he was like nine feet tall or something. <laughs> Uh, and I headed towards him, and he really looked like he was in a bad mood, so oh, I took boy. a hard left. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I never, never got to meet him. So it's not really that great of a story. But, but I, he always looked like he was in a bad mood. I, yeah, he was, he was pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of seeing that there's a video of Freddie King from the 70s, like out in Europe. Did you ever see that one? No. He's got the, his lapels oh, yes. as big that's as this table. <laughs> and uh, that's probably a guy you don't want to get on the wrong side either. I remember the band he was playing Big with at dude. the time. Something ha- you know, it, it kept happening during the show. Somebody was hitting a wrong note. And the look that he was giving those guys, I was like, oh, I'm sitting in my living room and I was getting scared. <laughs> well, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier about dynamics. Yeah. Is I've been fortunate enough to be the opening act and then get up on stage and play with some of my heroes. Yeah, like, I was going to ask like you about Otis that. Rush, yeah. and, uh, Otis Rush, and Albert Collins, and especially Buddy Guy, who I played yeah. with a number of times, and they give you that look. Yeah. And when they give you that look, you learn dynamics well, really. So when they're giving you that look, what are you doing wrong? Playing, playing too, <laughs> with Buddy Guy, for instance, playing yeah. too loud at any volume. If your vo- if your guitar is even plugged in, it's too, too loud. loud. You get the Turn look. Down. You get the look, and you, and and you like we're back it down. And then when he's rocking, he wants he gives you the other look, which he really really wants it loud. And um. So that's Was a that quick lesson in dynamics. Oh, man. See, Brian, if you ever sat in with Buddy Guy, he would have shot you. <laughs> Come on. I'm not loud. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I, you know, maybe it's my non-blues guy perception, but when you were talking about B.B. King, does it seem like B.B. King is like the biggest blues guy who is most well-known? Maybe the most well-known who's the least imitated, I feel like. In some ways, like at least his guitar playing, I don't see nearly as many guys – Working on that tone and those riffs, it yeah. seems like he's the only guy that can yeah, but when, do when, that. When you do a BB King lick, everybody I don't knows do a BB immediately. You know immediately but that it's a BB King lick. But, but you know, uh, before Stevie Ray Vaughan came along in 1983, BB King was the most imitated blues guitarist, and, and then. Albert. And, and Albert, to a little less extent, but BB was like the guy. I mean, you had to have that in your arsenal. But huh. when Steve Ray Vaughan came along with a whole different thing, and of course, putting the Ibanez Tube Screamer on the map, really, and right. getting that, that tone thing going, then he became the most imitated. Yeah, and, and now... Um, He's still the most imitated. Well, now I'm going to hear bands, and bands are opening for us, and it seems like, to me, at least in this part of the world... That Derek Trucks is the most imitated. Really? And I hear his Just phrasing, slide, players. slide playing, and his phrasing, general huh. phrasing, the Eastern thing he does. And so it's kind of cool, you know. Somebody's always going to come along and introduce, you know, young people to uh, just sort of like a template to work with. And uh, yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Well, who do, who do you think was the guy that you copied the most when you first started playing? Oh, guitar wise, you mean? Yeah, guitar. Oh, yeah. you know, definitely. Eric Clapton through all the periods of his career. Yeah. Cream and uh and uh, I was a little too young for the Yardbirds, but I went back and got into that, but certainly Cream and uh and then Derek and the Dominoes, Dominoes yeah. and then and then of course the uh the uh the BB King thing which everybody right. had to know that I mean you have have to know BB King right. um in in the 70s to to get anything done and and then of course later um 
you know, Jimi Hendrix and Allman Brothers, really. But, you know, we always steered clear of the Hendrix stuff because that always just seemed like really sacred ground. Yeah. You know? Seemed like really easy to mess <laughs> that up. Except for, <laughs> except for Stevie Ray. <laughs> yeah, he right. did it really he well. He did it really well. Ground. No, yeah. he's he's the one guy that nailed it. Right. And, um, yeah. He went right for it. But for every one guy that nails it, there's like a million other people oh, yeah. that, that whack and hack at it. You know, I didn't right. want to be one of those people. How many times have I heard somebody try to do Red House? <laughs> in my Voodoo Child. Voodoo Child seems to be the one people pick on the most. Yeah. Really? And, well, that, yeah, because it's only got one, one chord. You know, yeah. right. you don't even have to really. And that's the one <laughs> that Stevie kind of popularized or got po- popular for he doing. That tune. Yeah, but yeah. to me, his Little Wing was the. Yeah, because he, he totally changed it, you know, by right. making it and, and talk about dynamics again. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, that was like, can it get bigger still? And it yeah. keeps getting bigger. It's crazy. Yeah, and it got real small. But the thing is, is if Stevie Ray Vaughan had lived, we would have never heard Little Wing. Right. Because that was an outtake. We would have never heard The Sky Is Crying yeah. and any number of other songs that came out when they went back into the vaults. And there's still album, a yeah. bunch of stuff in there because he recorded everything. Right. And back then it was on reels of two-inch tape, which were like $150 a reel. Right. And, uh, you know, these warehouses of it, they still have to go through. Really? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, some some unreleased stuff came out just recently, didn't it? think so yeah yeah they just put something out does jimmy have like all jimmy stuff? keeps putting stuff out too i mean yeah. yeah jimmy's put out more since he's been gone than he put out well speaking of jimmy you 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 played with uh his bass player for a while in the heart fixers right mm, uh in the alley cats was preston it? hubbard preston, yeah. yeah wow yeah preston good was, one Tim. he was here in atlanta nice. yeah he was here in atlanta in the late 70s and uh that was before we, he was the guy that told me about Steve Ray Vaughn. Huh. I'd never heard him. He, he called him Jimmy Vaughn's little brother. Right. <laughs> little Steve. And Ray. so Steve Ray Vaughn comes to Atlanta in 1979 doing that show with Bill Sheffield, opening for Bill. Oh, yeah. And we all went out and bought Stratocasters after that. <laughs> <laughs> we said, this yeah. is it. We're going to get some Stratocasters. Well, what were you playing at the time? At Les Paul, the same one oh. I play right now, oh, full okay. circle. And, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, he... Uh, you know, it was the thing, and uh, I can remember we played a club called the Downtown Cafe, yeah. and it now it's across the street from Moe's and Joe's, and it's down there in the basement. I'm not oh, sure what that place is called. The Highland Tap? Highland oh, Tap. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Ravon played down there for, that would have been for cool. two Seriously? nights. He played yeah. there for two nights, Yeah. and the first night they made $35. That was their pay. Oh. Wow. That was their pay. And then, Sounds of course, like one of my gigs today. <laughs> well, I, it, you know, you got to start somewhere, but, I mean, that's really low. <laughs> Looks like I'm ending there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just about. And, uh, and uh, it, it, that was kind of cool, um, yeah. it, you know, to be able to see him do three sets. Yeah, no you know, And it was also like a private show. And then they came over to the house, you know. And, right. And uh, looked through. Uh, I was living over with Albie Scholl. Oh yeah, and uh, the shadows. came over to the Albie's house and looked through the record collection. We felt very proud because we knew he was like going to be a dude, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We so, knew. That's always cool when you do get to see those private shows. Sometimes from yeah. somebody that even you feel incredibly about at the time when nobody else really knows this little secret, yeah. you know. It was that's a real awesome. little, and, and I'd seen him twice before that one time. They came through. Uh, we played every Monday night there in like eighty, nineteen eighty. Yeah, and they came through town, and uh, and I remember uh, we were up there playing, and uh, and there here, here comes uh, Stevie Vaughn and and his bass player and drummer and and Rody, and they like sit in the front row, and I'm, oh boy, and uh, and my amp immediately started like making this horrible oh, buzzing no. sound. <laughs> yeah, so here. Run, running up across the dance floor, Steve Ray Vaughan, up onto the stage, and he gets my bright switch on my amp, and he's toggling it back and forth, and he goes, this will make that go away. And he, like, <laughs> the laying on of hands, you know, and he, like, fixed right. my amp for uh-huh. me. <laughs> so, and then, and then he, appeared. And right. then he gets up on the stage and sits and then just blows me off the stage, yeah. and in front of my girlfriend and oh, everything. Nice. And... Um, <laughs> 
you know, honey, I'm just going to walk home. To <laughs> well, I, I I was devastated. In fact, yeah. I like quit music and went to law school. But what? I mean, oh yeah, really? Oh yeah, it, that was it. That was. Man, that we are all really over the map from here. from that though. Oh, from that. That was it. Really? really? Yeah. No more music. Did he play yeah. your? Did he play your gear? Oh yeah. Now, was it one of those things like he got on your gear and he still sounded like like Stevie? Stevie. Yes, and. Mm-hmm. I still play that guitar, and I still play that amp, and I have not changed the settings since he sat in. Really? Right. Yeah. Isn't that funny? So to get close <laughs> and, enough in the variety playhouse. And to this day, playhouse. I still can't figure you know, it out. But, be- but I did change the guitar string, so here's where you and I differ. We, I did change the string. You know what, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> Sometime next year, we're going to rent out the, the Highland Every tap. once in a while, that amp well, makes that noise, and I have a... A special toggle guy that comes out and he does that. Oh, yeah. He went on. <laughs> We're going to recreate that night. Rent out the Highland Tap. We're going to go down there, put it in the exact I've spot. I've got pictures of that night. Do you? Oh, yeah. No shit. i got oh, pictures. Man. And uh, it, it was it was really, really cool, you know. And uh, But it was it was very humbling. It was yeah. beyond humbling. I was, beyond, I was over-humbled. All right. So <laughs> let's start there. So you really quit music. I really quit music. That night. Yeah, right, I did some more shows. Let's try to do something in a linear fashion here. We're we're all over the map here. We've well, good, we've been talking almost an hour, map. and uh, we don't have to dwell on it. But we should get a, a little uh, structure, a little structure. Ma- structure. Maybe start, uh, not you know, start with a little history and, and how this came to be, and you know your your success curve. Let's say, yeah. Yes. Um, is that a good jumping off point? You'd say. Well, I mean, starting all the way at the beginning, but yeah, but I mean, well, we can jump ahead. We could fast forward a bit after that, but I want to hear that story. <laughs> it's what? not a good story. All right. Well, we don't have to hear that story. <laughs> no, we I mean, leave basically, it at that. basically, I said, oh, you know, this guy is so good, yeah. and I'm, and it's just, I'm never going to be that good, and uh, and I just like dropped out, and I like enrolled in school, and of course that lasted three weeks. You know, was, <laughs> yeah, a very short law school career, and then and then uh, hooked up with Chicago Bob Nelson, and we formed yeah. the Heart Fixers, and we did four albums, and um, then went with Alligator in '88, and well, yeah, since that's so then that, so that was is, the turning point. Really, '88 was the turning point. Well, I was just going to mention that. You said you you formed the Heart Fixers in eighty one, mm-hmm. around that time. So you'd already been pretty well established. So for you to have that moment, yeah. where you're like, oh, I got to quit. Well, That's I don't crazy. know if you call it established. We were, we toured a lot, and uh, the Alley Cats toured a lot. But I mean, we would make like a ridiculous low amount of money playing. <laughs> we would like go to Washington D.C. and make fifteen dollars each. Jeez. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time we were on tour and we we just literally after weeks on tour, everyone ran out of money, like everyone. Yeah. And so we went to this gas station and and basically got enough gas to get to the next town using the tape deck out of the out of the car. You know, gave the guy the oh, cassette, oh, you paid for the, the cassette de- deck. <laughs> I thought you were out of the s- car and and um. And got like ten dollars and made it to Charlottesville, Virginia. See, that's a, that's, that's a kind of that's, that's a rock and roll story. That's right hitting bottom yeah, yeah. right there. I thought that, you were going to say you that's held the blues. Up the gas station. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seven guys in a hotel room yeah. all over the East Coast. Well, we've done that too. Wasn't yeah, seven, but seven seven is. We had five. five you beat us yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's really dogging it. <laughs> Did anybody? Did any one of those guys snore as bad as I did? Though probably not. I, I haven't heard you snore, thank God. But uh, I'll take your word for it. I like how you assume he knew how much you. How bad yeah, you, that's like, a that test. Your reputation. I think you right. saying that just makes it assume that I am <laughs> right. the king of it's pretty, uh, bad. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Well, let See, me ask you this: you you have a history degree, right? Yes. How, how did that go over with the family when you when you when they figured out? You're not going to be a history instructor or, or, or open a or history one. store. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to sell history. Open a museum. Say, yeah. Suffice it to say, when I dropped out of law school, it did go over like a uh, turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, open a history store, but everything's so old. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I used history store. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, over time and. Uh, you know, all is forgiven. Right. But, uh, yeah, you know, it does seem unlikely that somebody is going to have a career 
playing any kind of music that even the inventors of the music didn't appear to have a career doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> That's a good way to look yeah, I mean, it, it's it, a dismal it is, un- it. It, uh, it is <laughs> unlikely. Uh, and, um, but see, back then we played blues music not because there was somebody that had done well at it, like, like a Steve Ray Vaughan yeah. or Robert Cray. We played it because we really liked it. Yeah. Nowadays, people say, oh, he's the next something. Right. right. You know, he's the next this guy. or the next. We didn't have any next to be, really. Yeah. It's hard to yeah. say yeah. he's yeah. the yeah. next Helen Wolf, you know? Right. right. That can't doesn't do that. really have a good ring to it. <laughs> <you know? laughs> he's the next John Mayer. Okay, we kind of know what that means, but we yeah. didn't even have a next guy to right. be. Yeah. But then, of course, when Steve Ray Vaughan came out, and then there was you – know, he's the next Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. So Oliver Wood, at one point when he was on the road with me, said – Okay, you can be the next Stevie Ray Vaughan, but then I want to be the Stevie Ray Vaughan twice in a row after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he can, he can take turns. That was and then Oliver, huh? It's, it's very yeah. diplomatic. And, uh, but, yeah, there, that was something that was said. And that, that was, was the con- most that was said from Oliver ever. Oh, no, he had a lot of funny stuff. To oh, yeah. oh, a lot of really good stuff. <laughs> great guy. Oh, yeah. Soft-spoken. Great guy. Oh, yeah. good, real good guy, yeah. He was a good guest. That's another guy. Yeah, that's that's another. Uh, well, he talked about going out with. Well, you know, we had him on here too, mm-hmm. and of course, he credits you to to really helping him out back in the day yeah, too. Yeah, we took him all over the country. You've helped a lot of uh, a lot of emerging artists from the area. Well, yeah, is that something you do intentionally, or is it just well, hey, I'm here and I get to see the guys around? But do do you feel like? You know, well, I know like you had the holidays open up for you oh, last yeah. time you were in town, and you know there were a bunch of young guys, for, you know, doing it too. And it seems like you do that a lot. Well, I, I like to keep my ear to the track, you know, and, and find out what's going on. And uh, there's some there's some great talent in Atlanta, and uh, you know, this is a great place to live. And and I came here in '75 to play and never left. And yeah, so yeah. people are always moving here. There's always somebody. And, yeah. Uh, Remember Oliver Wood moved here in uh, early '90s, and uh, it didn't take long. People said, "Well, have you heard Oliver yet?" So immediately right. I have to go out and hear him, and then we hired him right away. Was he just doing solo stuff when you hired him? Or? No, he was sitting in with a different band every night. Okay, and um, we uh, checked him out. I had seen him play with Red Dog up at Fuzzies, and oh. then. Went and saw him at Fat Matt's, and my bass player said, "Wow, we got to get this kid in the band." And then, oh, he's going to hate me for this, but he had a mullet. I remember, he had a hairdo. <laughs> his hairdo had a mullet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, now um, the joke's on me, but he's got a beautiful head of hair now. And um, I wish I could even have a mullet; it would be the sorriest mullet ever. But um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I like to think I've got a, an ear for it and, and find mm. people and. Uh, you know, of course, now none of the people I play with even live in Atlanta, so it makes it kind of tricky. And uh, yeah. the band lives in Memphis, and I live here. Yeah. And so it's kind of a logistical nightmare. But they come over here, and we get in the, in the truck and go away, or I go pick them up there, and we go west. Or A lot of times there's airplane involved now. Oh, nice. You know, so nice. It doesn't really matter where you live when you're flying places. And, right. uh, so it is somewhat of a logistical nightmare to have people living in another town. But... Um, you know, I, I don't want to be limited, so uh, that's where we live, and that's what we do. And um, speaking of your bass player, you brought him up for a second. Mm-hmm. He's labeled the evil one. The evil one, yes. Does he, does he ever uh, release his, his real name, or, or and why is he the evil one? Well, I could tell you his real name. Yeah. Well, you don't have but, to. I don't but then I'd have to kill you. Right. right. <laughs> um, Anybody I know? <laughs> I want to make sure I don't run into this guy. <laughs> no. Make sure I don't owe him money. <laughs> no, but uh, I was he, that's his that's his nickname, and he got that twenty years ago in Europe. And this uh, this Dutch girl came up to the stage and pointed to him and said, "You are the evil one." And uh, <laughs> and that was it. And he said, "I'm changing my name to the legal one." And I said, "Okay, but it's probably not a good idea to have that on your passport." <laughs> right. And uh, so, for all intents and purposes, he is the evil one. Okay, but um. I just saw that when I was going. Why not just go with Gollum? Isn't that isn't he the evil? <laughs> That's one? I don't what know. somebody else said. That really? Too. Yeah. Gollum, the evil you one, crept up and slipped away with that. Right. You're only the second or third person that's ever said that. And Same Zeppelin, baby. Yeah. 
Oh, well, yeah, yeah. that too, I guess. All right. Ramble on. I right? take Ramble it on, yeah. I was going to go back. Uh, Georgia Blue is on Landslide? Or was re- originally released? It was recorded on Landslide. Hey, everybody. This is Ira. Hope you're enjoying this great interview with Tinsley Ellis. We uh, talk so long here that I'm going to split this podcast up into two parts, and I'm going to end part one right here. But stay tuned. I'm going to put up uh, part two in a couple of days or, uh, or less if I can. If you were a new listener, uh, remember you can go to iTunes and, of course, on our website if you're not listening there right now already. And check out all of our other shows. Try to catch up. We got some great artists and uh, some great performances, great live performances in the studio. And also check out our Facebook page where we post pictures of all our guests in the studio and uh, much more information you know, about who's coming up. I'm going to tack on one more Tinsley tune here to the end of this part one. I'm going to put on Double Eyed Whammy, which is the tune that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast uh, on that great alligator compilation that I bought. Oh, about 20 years ago. So here's Double-Eyed Whammy coming up. And remember, keep listening, tell a friend or two, and save it for the show. Thanks.
Faces Radio. 